Hey everyone, welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Mark Brissell. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. And Alric, I feel like you need to introduce our guests because okay. I am meeting for the first time and, and I want you to kind of do a little setup of how you guys know each other, who sure. he is, and then well, we'll turn it over to him. Before we get to, I oh. want to talk about the, the topic for this week. And, I love that. You know, Let's set it up. Yeah. People and, can and get excited. Is, um, but basically it's like, okay, you made your first movie, you know, you did it, you know, whatever you made mistakes, all that stuff. And then you somehow get the chance to make your second movie. Now, what did you learn from that first experience that you took into your second movie that, you know, actually worked and made the experience better or, or did it make it better? Join this week. We have writer director Kwong Lee to talk about making his second feature best mom and, I thought it'd be really fun to have him in uh, on the show just to talk about, you know, not specifically making his first movie, but more about like the lessons he learned from his first movie and then like how he uh, applied those lessons in shooting a second movie. So I love it. Sounds great. Welcome Kwong Lee to the show. Thanks, guys. Um, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on the show. Uh, but uh, also, I should say that, you know, to the yes, how I met Kwong, we were on a panel together, I think. Yeah, we met at a coffee and ketchup event uh, for Bay Area filmmakers. I think it was you, me, and uh, Roth Rind, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Roth, shout out to Roth. I, I, like, he's a guy who I see on Facebook, like, all the time, but, like, I don't think I've seen in person since that event, so... Uh, <laughs> Shout out to Roth if he actually listens to the show, which I don't know if he does. Um, Shout out to Roth. Before we get into the topic, um, can you just give us like your one minute bio, like a background of who you are, uh, what you do, and and all that stuff? Yeah, no problem. Um, I used to live in Los Angeles where I worked in TV marketing. I, I directed and produced uh, TV spots for uh, networks like NBC and the CW. And in 2013, I was recruited by a big tech company to, to make all their videos um, and uh, move to the Bay Area. And that was, you know, four or five years ago. And uh, I've loved it here. And ironically, while living in the Bay Area, I've uh, shot two feature films in Los Angeles. And so I've kept my foot in the narrative world. And I think we're going to talk about those two films today. So do you think that you could have shot those two films in LA had you not lived there previously? You know, it's interesting. No, because both those topics of the features are are Los Angeles-based topics. One is about the comedy scene. The first, my first feature, Buddy Solitaire, uh, which you can see on Hulu and Amazon Prime. A little plug. Uh, is is <laughs> <Like> uh, <that. laughs> is, uh, is about the comedy scene in Los Angeles, and um, you know you want to be authentic to that. The second movie, um, which we'll talk about later, is um, I was a director for hire. And so that story took place in Orange County. I think that could the story basic storyline could have taken place in the Bay Area, but um, it was specific to one family, and they lived in the in in Orange County, and the main location, which was their house, was in Orange County. So, gotcha. um, those were very uh, much South Southern California films. Yeah, I guess my question was, would you have been able business wise to have made those films, like gotten the crew, cast actors? And in the case of the second film, been hired had you not lived in L.A. If you had, let's say, just been in San Francisco the whole time. That's an interesting question. And that kind of can get into, you know, how I met um, uh, the writer 
of the second movie, Best Mom. It was, uh, I was living in the Bay Area at the time, um, but my first film, Buddy Solitaire, was doing the film festival circuit. So I met her at the Newport Beach International Film Festival, and that's how we kind of struck up a friendship, and she told me about her script. So, you know, I was living in the Bay Area, so um, the second movie was actually, uh, the inception happened while I was moving, while I was living here. So, yeah, the second film okay. for sure. The first film, um, probably not. Yeah, because, uh, of course, so many people that don't live in Los Angeles always wondered, should I live in Los Angeles? Is that necessary in order to direct feature films? And I, I know that there's probably a lot of like, yes, maybe, could be, depends on what kind of movies you want to make type of thing. But one thing we always ask every guest, especially if they have experience living in Los Angeles, in addition to living somewhere else, is kind of like, what are the differences um, should people just pick up and move to Los Angeles and start their career there? And then if they want to go somewhere else, go somewhere else. Or do you just feel like it's it's even for everyone, no matter where you live, you can figure this out? I mean, personally, I live, st I live in the Bay Area because I love it here. I'm sure like you guys feel the same. I think um, in general, there's maybe more feature film opportunities and the opportunity to meet different producers, uh, uh, cast, crew, because people go to LA for that particular purpose. But I made a, a kind of a personal lifestyle choice to live here. This is where I met the mother of my child. This is where, you know, a lot, I have a lot of family. And so it, for me, it's not so much a filmmaker choice, but it's a, um, it's a life choice. And what's great about it is uh, I've been able to, to direct two features while I've lived here. So that kind of bucks the trend of, you know, you have to live in LA. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna ask you, like, have you have you felt like you know your career has suffered since you moved away from Los Angeles? But I mean, obviously, it hasn't. You directed two features, and I know you're working on on your next one now, so um, doesn't seem like it has. But I guess the key question is, like, you know, I mean, and you are Timothy already asked it, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of what I'm thinking is. You know, it's just all about making the movie, like figuring out how to make the movie and get it done. And then from there, you know, if you make a good movie and you get it out there, it maybe it doesn't matter so much exactly where you live, uh, you know, 100% of the time. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you see people from, from all over the, the country making making features and you have the system of the film festival circuit to, to, to kind of uh, champion those films. And so, I mean, I will say that there's in sort of the... Um, filmmaking hubs, the TV making and media making hubs of, of America, you're going to find more crew and cast. Obviously, if you live in you know, Atlanta, New York, Los Angeles, uh, the Bay Area, you're going to find more people to, to collaborate with. But yeah, you can, make, you, can make, you can physically make a film anywhere. Yeah, totally. So how, how long had you lived in Los Angeles before you moved to the Bay Area? I had lived, I went to film school in, in LA, I went to UCLA. And so I had lived there, gosh, you know, 15 years before I moved to the Bay Area. Oh, wow. And do you feel like wow. your UCLA experience, um, that that like helped you, you know, get started in your career and like helped you with like getting your films made eventually? I think mainly, I think, you know, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people about film school and you might have answers that are, that are similar to this. To me, film school was great in the sense of meeting other people who I'd eventually collaborate with in the future um in film school i made three short films and so that process of making films um really kind of got me uh, get, got me the sense of okay well this is the way a camera works this is the way editing works i remember you know um taking my hard drives with my footage down into the non-linear bays at night and cutting to like 
you know, two, three AM and that got me the the initial sense of how to edit um on nonlinear systems. And so yeah, the, the you learn sort of the, the nuts and bolts of filmmaking in film school. So that's that's a huge plus. Can you tell me about um this IMDB credit that you're a writer on five hundred mile per hour storm? <laughs> That's funny. Um, that is, I don't know if you guys have heard of um, Asylum Entertainment. Absolutely, like they do knockoffs of uh, of uh, of big movies, and I think uh, at okay. that point, um, the sort of big tornado and disaster movies were were um, very fashionable. And I and I did a job for them. I wrote a a, a um, that's a, that's a really funny question, Tim. That brings back <laughs> memories. Um, yeah, so I wrote a uh, uh, a um, disaster movie knockoff for Asylum Entertainment. It was it was an amazing experience, kind of like seeing how that world works. Well, well, it's interesting because at AFM uh, in November, I met one of the the head guys at Asylum and uh, like kind of did like a on the si- the on the moment pitch of uh, one of my projects to him, and you know he was like, "Yeah, here's my card. Send it on over." And um, you know, I sent it and never heard anything. But it was it was kind of interesting to to see see that company and see how they work a little bit. I've I've heard some horror stories about them, but you know, I don't want to like go around telling telling tales. But uh, you know, I mean, what was your experience working on that that movie like? You know, it's interesting. You go into their. Uh, I don't want to get too much in the details of 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 the specifics, but you know, one thing that was interesting to me is I I go into their offices and this is a warehouse like filled and filled and filled with posters and DVDs of, of these types of movies they made, uh, they make. And so it was, I was definitely impressed by the fact that they, they got it down to a science. They, they knew how to make it, um, like a factory. Um, so kudos to them. Um, well here, unless Timothy has any other follow-up questions, I think we should just get right into our topic. What do you get? What do you guys think? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, I mean, Really, we kind of set this up in the intro, but um, I just want to really hear about, you know, like, the, the, like so, okay, here, let's just set it up. So, you finished your first movie, Buddy Saltaire, it's out in the world. Um, you get this opportunity to, uh, you know, work on this other movie, Best Mom. Just take us through the whole process. Yeah, so, um, like I mentioned uh, in the intro, I directed Buddy Saltaire, and we were kind of talking to distributors. Uh, we were doing the film festival circuit, which was a lot of fun. As you guys know, as, as filmmakers, it's such a wonderful experience going to film festivals and meeting other filmmakers, watching audiences um, take in your movie. And uh, I was at the Newport Beach International Film Festival um, with Buddy Solitaire, and they had a kind of a filmmakers brunch event. Um, and that's where I met uh, Meg Widener, the writer of, of Best Mom. And she was looking for a director to direct her, her, her feature script. And we got to talking and um, she saw Buddy Solitaire at one of the screenings. And ironically, Buddy Solitaire is a story about um, uh, a comedian who teaches at a mental institution. And he, he heals himself through teaching these students uh, through the power of, of laughter, the power of comedy. And Meg's script was about a mom who wants to reach out to her daughter um, she'll try anything and she ends up taking this improv comedy class to reach out to her. And so those films had a similar theme, a similar spine. And because of that, we started working together and um, yeah, I directed her feature. 
That's awesome. So, okay, that 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 happens. That meeting, she, you know, you guys get along or whatever. And then, what happens there? Does she just make you an offer? Um, and then, is there like contracts dra- drawn up, or is it more casual? Like, what was the process of actually getting into working on this movie? Well, you know, in any creative project, I think, as you guys know, you sort of um, get a sense of each other through initial talks, initial collaboration, initial brainstorming about the script and the project. And, you know, a few months in, um, we signed contracts and kind of got the the, um, the specifics of the deal set out. So I think it's a combination of both. And I think that's the case in any creative endeavor. You have to mix that 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 creative side with the business side because without the parameters of the business, um, you know, it, things can potentially go off the rails. So I think it's important for filmmakers out there to know that, you know, even though we're doing a creative business, it's still a business and it's important to have um, parameter set. And then did, did she have a producer that was brought in and like you just coordinated with the producer and like you were just the director and, and that's all you did? Or was it more like kind of making your, your own movie again, where you were like really involved with the production and all that stuff? Well, it was interesting. I helped her develop the script for, for a long time, for over a year. Um, she started with a, a draft, an early draft, and we developed it, raised the stakes of the characters, kind of um, figured out the structure a little bit, and you know, worked on scenes. And so it was a really cool collaborative process over the course of, I think, uh, you know, almost a year. And then at that point, um, I introduced uh, the writer to um, the producer, my producer from, from Buddy Solitaire. And so they got along well. And um, yeah, so she was brought on. So luckily enough, and this doesn't happen all the time, for the first movie, I did a lot of producing. But for this one, um, I was able to stick to directing because I brought the previous uh, producer board. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's great. Though you're sitting there with the script, Best Mom, and are you in your head, are you thinking about your old, your first movie and saying, all right, that first movie, there's these things that went wrong and I want to make sure that that doesn't happen on this one and maybe producing is one of those things. Like, what are some of the things that you wanted to avoid happening again? Yeah, you know, it, it was... it was it, The efficiency of the production schedule necessitated trying to be very efficient because for Buddy Solitaire, we had, I think, a 95-page script and we did that in 17 days. Best Mom was a 100-page script, mm-hmm. but we only had uh, 15 days. Right. So that was a really, um, you know, aggressive production schedule. So what I did um, and something I want to do anyways, I want to use more wonders. I want to use more wide shots that have the actors, um, you know, coming in and out of of position using depth of of, of field so that, you know, wasn't your typical standard coverage of wide shot, medium shot close ups. That was that because on Buddy Solitaire, you didn't do that and you felt like this was going to help you go through the script faster. Uh, multiple reasons. I think that um, because Buddy Solitaire is my first feature, I was just really concerned about getting the coverage I needed, right? Just making sure right. I had Cover all the yourself pro- exactly, and so, yeah, exactly. So you don't make a mistake, yeah. and, and that was that was fine because you know Buddy Solitaire, you know, all the scenes play and all the scenes work. For, for this one, it was a combination of a creative reason and an efficiency budget reason that I want to do more wonders and sort of more walk and talks and more. And you'll notice in Best Mom when it comes out um, that there's a lot of walk and talks instead of coverage of, you know, both actors talking, it's a single shot of them walking through a hallway, I guess, similar to West Wing, things like that, where all your coverage is done in the wonder. And did you use the same DP on uh, Best Mom as Buddy Solitaire or the same crew? Uh, A lot of the same crew, a lot of the same... 
the same AD, the same uh, wardrobe person. Uh, we worked with a different DP. Um, it was great. It was a. It was a. He was a Spanish. He is a Spanish DP named Alvaro, and he was wonderful. Um, and uh, but Jay visit the DP of, of Buddy Salter is amazing as well. So that's one of the the wonderful things about filmmaking, as you guys both know. You get to work with different DPs and different artists, and you get to kind of um, experience a different uh, aesthetic uh, every time you 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 make a project. And uh, I would have been happy to work with Jay, just the the cards didn't play out that way. But it was awesome to work with a different DP and 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 uh, work with a different set of aesthetics. Nice. And then was the budget level roughly the same for both movies or was there a difference there? Yeah. You know, um, I don't want to talk specifics about budget, oh, but co- the budget not, level yeah. was, was, was relatively similar. They were both SAG ultra low. So we were able to work with SAG actors and we had some names, um, some really uh, strong female actors and, and best mom and, and buddy solitaire too with Sally Kirkland. Um, but um yeah, the budget level was, was roughly the same. So, you know, you kind of, you kind of work within the challenges of the SAG ultra low world. And did the money come from the same place, same group of investors? No, no. For for Buddy Solitaire, that was a hodgepodge of uh, of uh, different financing from um, uh, some investors, some money I kicked in myself, and a uh, and a Kickstarter, which um, completed the production funds and. Uh, yeah, crowdsourcing. Wow, I'm yeah. sure all filmmakers are have a deep sigh as I as I say the word Kickstarter. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like in every director interview I hear about uh, their first movie or, or raising money for their film, uh, Kickstarter is always mentioned, or Indiegogo, you know, or Seed and Spark, or, or right. one of the crowdfunding platforms. So, you know, it, it's it's nice every time I hear that the financing came from other places besides the filmmakers or crowds crowdfunding it always makes me happy to know that people are you know able to raise funds in the traditional manner because that's what i'm trying to do right now um, sure but yeah i mean i feel like crowdfunding is just going to be a part of your 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 budget um you know it also helps build your audience exactly and then someone told me the other day like oh it doesn't even matter if you actually need the money like you should just do a crowdfunding thing anyways <laughs> just to get the word out and like help build buzz and all this stuff kind i'm of. like oh man really okay well i i, I feel that you know uh, crowdfunding is a full-time job it's like it took so much effort but that being said it did a lot of good in terms of the buzz for uh for for buddy solitaire at the beginning but i would not (laughs) recommend doing it uh, not to raise money it's a lot of work and then um you talked about you know wanting to use more winners and um utilize your time and be more efficient and all that stuff but were there any other uh, specific goals as a director that you had in walking into best mom yeah, you know, um, this is something that I, I want to really focus on as sort of a goal for, for Best Mom because of the nature of the project that I was a director for hire. So, um, whereas, whereas, whereas Buddy Solitaire, you know, for lack of a better word, it's like a, um, it's a writer-director sort of uh, auteur, not an auteur, but it's like it's it's your personal vision. Whereas right. for Best Mom, we call I was just, passion projects. Yeah, exactly the passion project. But for for Best Mom, I was really trying to use my skills um, as a director, you know, visualization, pace, mise en scène, working with actors in the service of another story that wasn't mine. How could I take these this these skills um, uh, and and apply them to to a project in the best possible way? But yet still be sort of, um, I know this is someone else's story. How can I help bring that story to life? 
Um, I think that's nice to, that you are aware of that, that you're like, okay, like this isn't my story, but I'm still going to go in there and try to do my best to tell the story, you know, my way, but also to do ser- the best service to the, to the writer and, and the producers and all that stuff. That's awesome. Um, so were there any specific mistakes you had made on Buddy Solitaire that you wanted to avoid? Like anything specific that had gone wrong or that you like regretted that you really wanted to like rectify? Yeah, I think we actually talked about this, Alric, when we kind of hung out the other time. Um, you know, with Buddy Solitaire, I, you know, as a first-time director, you're always searching for that 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 amazing take from an actor, right? Like, oh gosh, this is the one, this is the one, and like very similar to that Stanley Kubrick story. Sometimes you can go into the tens of takes, right? Um, and the Kubrick, you would go yeah. into the hundreds, or legendarily. The, yeah. T- Timothy um, did fifty something takes on a commercial. That no, I tried to. I oh, ended up. I, I got to twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay. Excuse yeah, me. but my goal was fifty. <laughs> uh, how, how was uh, how was twenty the take twenty nine? Uh, I ended up using take twenty two in the finished piece, um, and I did feel it got better and better and better just by nature of what we were doing. Though sure. it's like I used the way that I directed it was I modified a small thing each time so Mm. it was kind of just building on each take slowly rather than just dumping a whole bunch of direction on actors so i felt like it was a way to drill the script into them get the pacing down and add like little nuances into their performances um over the course of time and i thought it really worked i was surprised because i'd always heard that david fincher you know, would do like 50 or 60 takes on average. And I was like, how could that even work? How is that? Like, is wouldn't the first take kind of be the best? Because that would be their like most raw and emotional take. Um, but I found that in some circumstances, it does help. I think it just depends on what kind of scene it is. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think your, your philosophy would definitely make those scenes better. Uh, from my experience, uh, because, you know, I could see how, you know, for the takes to get better, um, as you build, if you're adding technical technical elements to the the camera moves too. But for me uh, and Buddy Salter, it was a lot of performance based stuff that was I was letting the actors go do their thing. Um, and so invariably, even if I did twelve takes, um, the best take the take that was used in the final cut was either one, two, or three for me. Um, yeah. And so I realized that for best mom, for efficiency's sake, I couldn't go searching for that elusive Stanley Kubrick take, right? I would I would check myself at take three. And if I got it, if I was generally happy, I knew I'd probably be happy in the editing room with one of those three takes. And, and so for efficiency, we nice. moved on. Yep. That's awesome. And did, did that work? Yeah. Worked great. Worked great. All right. Good advice. Yeah. I mean, when I, I worked on one of my earlier movies, we, we shot in film. And I remember the director, Isaac Pingree, who was on our show, his whole philosophy was you get two takes and that's it because they were shooting on film, you know, and so they, right. they couldn't afford it. Um, but they did like a bunch of rehearsals and then like it was like tons of rehearsals and you get two takes max. If you get it in one, you just move on, you know. So when you say like three takes, like I, it kind of feels like back to that kind of work ethic and that sort of philosophy. And I think you know, that there's something to be said for that. Cause like we get so used to just burning through digital, you know, media, uh, cause it's so cheap and we can do it, you know, but, uh, I feel like it's nice to be more controlled sometimes. Cause maybe you get, you can craft your performances, craft your takes better, you know? Yeah. And, and also, you know, like I was mentioning for me, it was just a matter of efficiency for 15 day, for a 15 day shoot, we had to get through several, several scenes, um, in the course of a day. So, 
you know, the, one of the beauties of digital filmmaking is you have, I mean, we all know that you, you can get a ton of takes because you've you got a, a three terabyte hard drive you're dumping footage to. So there's tons of space. But for me, for that particular project, it was more about getting the day done. Do you, do you know roughly how many pages you shot in a day? Gosh, sometimes, I mean, there was certain locations that we had to get 12 pages in a day, which I don't recommend. It's hard. Right. It's, don't do that. Right. <laughs> don't no, do that. It's bad. It's really yeah, it's bad. bad. <laughs> uh, I'm dying to know how you felt about your first film. Like if, uh, if while you were writing it and imagining this thing come to life, like that was 100% of your imagination once it was shot and finished and on the screen how how many how much percentage of that hundreds kind of stayed with it you know it's interesting like um buddy solitaire i love that movie just because um you know it's my first uh, writing directing project as a feature <clears throat> um i would say that there's as a first time feature filmmaker and as a filmmaker of any type you look at your film and you're like oh you know i wish i could have changed that you know oh i wish sure. we didn't shoot in that location but what I'm most proud of is that on that film, because of the cast we had and, and, and we spent so much time casting, the, character, the actors really embodied their characters. And, and um, what I appreciated about that experience is the actors and I really bonded on set. And they really took their characters on their own and sort of ran with it. So what I'm really proud of on that movie is the actors bring a lot to the table. So... You know, with, in terms of percentage, I would say I'm definitely, uh, I got at least 80, 85% of what I wanted. But that other 15% nice. is mm-hmm. new stuff that the actors brought in, which I'm really, really proud of. And obviously, there's, you know, 10% of fixes that you want to change and you die when you see them. But nobody in the audience really <laughs> right. knows but you. But that 15% that the, uh, the actors brought to the table, um, I'm super proud of. Great. Well, nice, it sounds man. like you didn't have many regrets then with your first film. And, and also you going into the festival circuit and already like forming a relationship to get like another film made. Like I'm sure you didn't like, I've, I feel like I've lived with my movie so long that I had way too much time to just let doubt and the, the sense of failure just seep into where like, I can't watch that clean anymore. Like I'm just always going to see this film that I made as a failure. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, when you watch your film, you're, you look at your mistakes, you know, but I, I've seen in life uh, as creative people that we can be so hard on ourselves and we ride that roller coaster of, oh, I'm a genius. Oh, I'm an idiot. I'm a genius. I'm an idiot. And <laughs> yeah. and it's hard. It's hard because you're dealing with a creative work that some people will love and some people won't love. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that it takes a great crew of people, your collaborators, your friends, your DP, your actors to kind of steady the course with you and just make sure that, you know, you're making the film that you want to make. And yeah, choosing your collaborators is such an important thing because they will steady the ship for you. Yeah. So now that you've done two movies, um, do you have a list of things that you're hoping to do on the third one when that opportunity comes? Or Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, Buddy Solitaire is a dramedy, and um, it has Sally Kirkland, but it doesn't have big stars. And that, well, she's a she won a Golden Globe, so she is a star. But um, when I when we when the film got distributed um, through through Gravitas uh, Ventures, they got us on Hulu, which is really cool. Amazon Prime, they got us on like you know HBO over in Poland. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. like, we've been really happy with the uh, with the um, distribution. But that being said, you know my producer's rep was like, Hey, you know, if you had a thriller, um, 
we could we could move a little further with with your next movie. So, hence my next uh, feature script. Uh, the next f- film I'm, I'm making is a is a thriller. It's a road trip thriller called Caravan. And where are you in the process of making that? The script's done. Um, we have some seed financing, so we're trying to uh, raise the rest of the financing. The same place as a lot of other filmmakers. Yeah, we, we can. I can relate sure, to that. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, right, you, you told me you made, you start you got some uh, some more investing. So kudos to you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I just closed another investor um, last week, and I won't say for how much, but it was really great to you know get one more more person on the team, and you know now I got to go out and find the next person to meet with. So you know, got got a few people out there that I'm talking to, but you know it's always the challenge to find the next person to pitch. Yeah, you know, it's a bummer you can't like for you going that you can't just go back to the same investors every single time. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like um, uh, for Best Mom, that was a passion project from the writer. And so that was her life story we wanted to get on film. And for Buddy Solitaire, um, I th- what's great is we're starting to get into the black. We're starting to uh, make our money back. But I think I can all hit them up once uh, all, all of the investors get all their money back. <laughs> right, right yeah. you got to wait till that point. You can't just be like, I know the, the, the other film's still out and release and making money and you guys haven't seen anything yet, but can I get yeah. more money to make another film? I mean, like, in, no, unless, no, unless somebody who invested like was completely blown away by the movie and just loved it so much and was right. like, oh my God, like I don't care if this makes money. Like It's so great. Here's more money. Make another one. You yeah. know, ironically enough though, um, I'm going to shout out my friend Alice Coe who's a Bay Area uh, actor and she lives in LA now. She was a a Kickstarter supporter for Buddy Solitaire. And, you know, um, she loved, I mean, to to that point, she loved Buddy Solitaire so much that she was our seed investor and now a producer on Caravan. So it kind of in a way that, that, that did come true. Wow, that's yeah. awesome, man. Are you thinking of, for Caravan to go back to Kickstarter? Um, I, I, if I can avoid it, I will. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, because it just takes so much work. It takes a lot of work. I mean, you know, I, I think that um, our strategy for Caravan is to try to find uh, some name actors and sort of use that the buzz of those names nice. to to kind of generate um, generate momentum and kind of get that on deadline and deadline.com yeah. and, and get buzzed that way but you know we'll, we'll kind of see how it plays out the rest of the year besides the genre change is there anything else that you're hoping to do in caravan that you haven't done in your other two films yeah i mean try uh, a lot of the aesthetics of, of of the thriller right in a sense it's very similar to comedy in that um scares and thrills uh, take pace and timing and a certain aesthetic just as the you know landing a joke in comedy takes a certain aesthetic and it's a different aesthetic, and I'm excited to try to try that. I directed a short horror film um, a few years back that got into the NBC Shortcuts competition, um, and it was cool um, trying to pace a jump scare. And I'm excited to to um, to try to execute a lot of those aesthetics too in a thriller. Yeah, I watched that short film online. Uh, it was very good. Monster. Uh, I, yeah, monster. Yeah, I cool. think after I met you, um, I looked you up and I and I saw that and I was like, wow, this guy's a real filmmaker. Oh man, because <laughs> like you know NBC, you know film festival and all that stuff. It's just you know that's a that's a pretty high level to be recognized at. You know, um, but I had a question. So going back to Best Mom, like you know we talked about what you learned from Buddy Solitaire, but what did you learn from working on Best Mom? Um. This harkens back to the the uh, my goals for the film. I learned that directing is not just a passion project. It is it's a job. Um, you know, Tim and, and Alaric, you know that if you're hired as a director, it's a job. You're you're there to get the best performances. You're there to shot list the script. 
you're there to make your days, you're there to get the editor um, enough footage to make a really good movie. And that's a job. So, you know, I think that was what I, I learned from Best Mom to treat it like um, a job and be very professional at it. I mean, I think that's where, you know, um, like other people, like a lot of our peers in the Bay Area, we, we work on um, videos for corporations and we work on um, uh, commercials and things like that. And that's where that training, those years of experience working in that, that, uh, that space helped because, you know, that's a job. And that was what I learned from Best Mom treating that project not as you know your passion project that you you know that you get emotionally rung up over but make the best possible project um as a professional that's awesome that's that's a great lesson to learn it really is um yeah i'm really glad you said that i hope everyone listened to that that answer um but um you know like this is sort of a similar question but like on on that note like what what so what does that mean for your next movie like you know taking the what you've learned from your first two projects like what are you going to take into caravan that's going to be a little bit different that's an interesting question i think that you know for for buddy solitaire since um i was the the writer and director and and i i put in some of my own money i i was sort of treated like an art project i think caravan because we'll probably be working with a much bigger budget to be very, very responsible with that, um, with that budget and kind of look at the lessons I learned best moms in terms of being efficient, um, you know, using oneers, try to get the most out of your production schedule. And, you know, with Caravan, there's a lot of cars, there's going to be rigs, car rigs. And so that creates a whole level of, of, of specificity. So really, I think the, what I'm going to try to bring to the third movie is taking that, that efficiency and the sort of professionalism I learned on, on best mom into that. Nice. So you've been over the mountain. You have directed a feature, not just a feature, two features. You've seen the valley. What can we expect? Ulrich's about to go direct his first feature. I'm hoping that I'll be following shortly behind. What's your advice for us? Like, what what should we be careful of? What should we like really focus on? Like, give us some advice here. Yeah, no problem. I think it just goes to everyone making their their first feature. And I think some of this you've probably heard before, but I'll reiterate and maybe add some new stuff. The first most important thing is your script. Um, make sure that's airtight. Um, Alric, I know you did a a, a, a a table read, super important. I'm sure you learned a ton. I did 20 drafts of, 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 of Buddy Solitaire. Um, nice. And those are real, like going in there, taking the guts out of things, not not cosmetic polishes. Those are real rewrites. Um, and that took a long time, but, um, I'm glad I did that. And so script is the most important thing. And the second most important thing is your cast. Um, because for a low budget film, that is your production value, their faces and and their performances is your production value. And then your crew, having your great collaborators and your DP, your audio person, your production designer, your producer, and that order to me, script, cast, crew. Nice. Awesome. Uh, Timothy, you have any other movie uh, questions about directing or features or any of that stuff? No, I think we can move on to topic number two. All right. You want to kick it off? Sure. So this this came out of a conversation that Ulrich and I were having with a friend of ours, Alex Kellerman. Um, that was so last week we had talked about kind of polarizing audiences and and that led to discussions about intentions as filmmakers like when we set out to make a movie 
I think you can set out and to to do different things. Like one could be you want to communicate an idea like very clearly in an audience's mind. Uh, another way you could do it is you could just create some ambiguity to hopefully spur some thinking in the audience's mind. He had a great example of like like an abstract painter versus like a landscape painter versus like somebody who's painting like a portrait. Like they're all they're all the intentions of those artists is different. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your intentions like as a filmmaker. What are you hoping people get from your film? Like what's your ultimate goal with it? Is it to put a very clear idea, clear theme into their head that they'll walk away from the movie thinking? Or is it just to put a bunch of ideas out there? Or is it really just to entertain them? Like, what do you think? That reminds me of a story for Buddy Solitaire. In the end, in the script, I had a final scene that really wrapped up the story. The The comedian, after being sort of um, doing some bad stuff, he makes up for it and he goes back to the to the class and it's a happy ending and you know, everything is tied up in a bow and, and that's, there's a huge lesson there in terms of, you know, valuing the people in your life. But as I watched yeah. in the cut, it was too pat. It was just too, everything tied up in a bow in, a, in too much of a way. It was almost <laughs> right. too heavy handed. So I, in the, in the, in the final movie, I took that scene out and the final scene in the movie is just a very um, atmospheric, ambiguous, ambiguous scene of, of the main character going, uh, passing by his mother's house who he has a very conflicted relationship with and just, just just watching her go, you know, go to sleep and turn down the lights. And it's a very open-ended ending, but to me, it leaves the audience putting the pieces together in their own heads. And I think that is really satisfying to me. That is a way, it was a way better ending than the really pat ending. And so, uh, what do you hope that they're putting together in their head? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. I think that to me is that (laughs) this guy, changed but he didn't change in a hollywood way it, he's still going to have this mother that is going to be a, a very um challenging figure in in his life but life is me- uh, is 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 measured by those small steps not the big giant act break changes you see in hollywood films but those small life changes so here's my question so sure. let's say your audience um doesn't come to that conclusion and comes to like a different type of conclusion or thinks that you meant something else by that ending. Uh, do you consider that a failure or is that like totally fine with you? You know, I think that's a double-sided question. I think for me, if they got something um, and they got something powerful from, it, powerful from it, I think that's fine because once a film leaves your edit bay and goes into film festivals and on digital streaming platforms, it's for them, it's part of their lives. But on the other hand, if they're confused, you know, if it's like, if they're, if, okay, so it's two different voices, right? It's cool if they go, huh, but it's bad if they go, huh? You know what I mean? Like, if they, <laughs> Interesting. Right. I'm thinking about the ending of Lost in Translation. Sure, right, where, right. Uh, he's fine. He looks at, he's finds Scarlett Johansson on the street and she comes up and he whispers something into her ear, right? Or she whispers something into his ear, but we don't hear it. So that that kind of thing could be like a, I don't get it. I don't understand what that means. Yeah. Or it could be like emotionally resonant. I think that's that's going to be probably a choice that really polarizes audiences. But if like only 20% of the audience likes that and 70% is just kind of like, what the fuck was that? That didn't make any sense. That's kind of where I think, well, as a filmmaker, you didn't do your job if you're losing 70% of your audience in that moment. Yeah, I agree. 
But I bet if you ask those 70%, like, let's say 70% are just like, that was bullshit. But if you as a filmmaker started asking the 70%, well, what did you think it was? They're going to come up with an answer. I mean, that's, that's what we do in focus groups too in advertising. You put people in a room and you ask them questions, they're going to have answers. But we're, we're not always going to be in the room with them. They're going to see a movie and then they're going to walk away from it. And either it's going to live on their, in their head or they're just going to walk out of the movie and be like, that was bullshit. Well, yeah, and just but, go on with their lives. But, I mean, to, to me, like that's different than because I guess the argument came out um, about you know Timothy saying like, well, if I lose the audience on getting them to the to the conclusion that I'm trying to get them to, then I failed. And I'm like, well, if if my audience comes to a different conclusion than the one that I have intended as far as the meaning, then I'm okay with that as long as you know it's it's something that like they, they can see whatever they want in it, you know, like, I mean, or, 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 you know, take the evidence I've given and come to their own conclusion. Like that's, that's totally fine, you know, but I guess it's different. It's, if- that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm, I'm with Kwong. I think that it is, uh, if you've confused them, you failed, but if they come up with a different conclusion, but it's emotionally resonant in their own way and it, the movie lives on, the movie totally belongs to the audience at, after you've made it. But as filmmakers, when we have an intention to say something with our films, I'm, I'm guessing that everyone's trying to do something with their film. Right. Where, you know, and what is that? And is, is it okay if you do a David Lynch style where it's just completely open to interpretation? No one's going to understand a David Lynch idea in the same way um or are we all kind of more in the pixar land where it's like there's a it's almost like a moral tale and there's usually a pretty strong message that that movie's trying to say and and if and 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 should an audience be able to walk away from the movie understanding what you're trying to say or does it really even matter you know guys i think the um the 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 power's in the hands of the audience i mean i you look at, uh, you know, speaking about polarizing movies, um, you look at Mother, right, by Darren Aronofsky. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, right. I'm a huge Darren Aronofsky fan. You know, I love Black Swan, uh, The Fountain, The Wrestler. But I'll shout out to another Bay Area um, uh, uh, filmmaker, Gavin Murray. Uh, yeah, Gavin. Do you guys know up? Gavin? I love Gavin. Yeah. Uh-huh. His Good birthday dude. was yesterday. It was yesterday, Happy, exactly. happy lap, last late birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, let's shout out to Gavin's birthday. Woohoo! But um, we, we were both in LA working on a project, um, and we happened to be we happened to check out the world premiere of uh, of of uh, Mother at the ArcLight, and yeah, uh, Darren Aronofsky was there. You know, we, it was a Q and A. It was great. Oh, that's cool. Personally, I did not like the movie. Oh wow! I, I didn't like it. Uh, I don't think it, it. 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 You know, to you guys' point, I don't think it succeeded in what it was trying to do, which is trying to put this allegory into this. Um, into this uh, genre framework. I didn't think the genre framework worked. But Gavin loved it. It meant it had yeah, all these layers mm-hmm. for him. I, I so, liked it too. <laughs> yeah, cool. You know, and that's great. And so in, in that sense, you take that movie, for example, it, the power is really in the audience. You know, you, right. Alric, and, and Gavin got came away with something um, and probably very close to what Darren Aronofsky was meaning. But me, I was like, no, that movie didn't work. So really, I think the, the choice is in the audience. Yeah, my my interpretation of that movie is, is like when I ask people what they thought that it meant, and they not one time has someone said what I think it meant back to me. You know, although I think it's definitely I read that what what I think I've read out there on, online about it, so I know I'm not the only one who who thinks that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting, and I I think that's a really good example of a movie that definitely polarized people. You know, and just drove people in one direction or the other direction. Um, 
like with all this in mind, like, you know, audience reactions and trying to lead your audience to a conclusion, what do you think the most important aspect of your filmmaking is? In, in terms of polarizing or just in, in general? I guess as, as far as delivering an experience to an audience. Yeah, I think, you know, to me, we we're talking about uh, responses, you know, via the, the Pixar uh, moral or the David Lynch um, um, sort of ambiguous ending. To me, um, I will deem a project success, successful if, if it creates a strong emotional response. So that movie, that short film you're talking about before, um, our monster, it had the jump scare in the end and people were scared at the festival circuit. So I got that emotional response, uh, you know, for Buddy Solitaire, it's the sense of empathy for the, for the characters in the, um, in the counseling center. So my, my, my biggest goal is to try to create an emotional response and to be transported by the story. Um, And that's what I go to the movies for, you know, when I uh, buy a ticket to, to see Black Panther, I want to be transported into that story. Um, and I think that that might be sort of a cliche answer, but to me, it's true. Um, I want to do what the filmmakers I loved in the past did for me, which is transport me via a story. And the, your ability to do that a lot of times is your ability with the craft of directing and filmmaking. If you mm-hmm. know your craft, you can bet you have a better chance of transporting that audience to the place where you want to take them. I think you said something important there though. It's like, there's a contract you make with an audience depending on the kind of film that you're making. And like when an audience goes to see a David Lynch film or a P.T. Anderson film, they're expecting something different than when they walk into Black Panther. And if you walk into Black Panther and they're they're not delivering on the promise, the expectations that they've set out and that you expect from that kind of movie, then I think that you failed. And I totally project what I think my movie should have done onto the audience. And I'm and I speak of it as a failure because I think that I didn't deliver on what I was trying to do. So you know, audience aside, you know that's kind of where I'm where I'm coming from and why right. I think that my my movie is such a failure, regardless of you know what the what we think that the comments are, or the likes and dislikes. But yeah, like I I don't think that I fulfilled the expectations of what I set out to do. Right. Well, you didn't fill the expectations for yourself, but your expectations right. for yourself were unreasonable. I think that you were like expecting to make something akin to like, not, not because I think like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think Ark. your movie is akin to Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you were trying yeah. to make something that actually looked just like Raiders oh, of yeah, the Lost absolutely. Ark. And, and be it's as like, entertaining and as action packed. Yeah, but that's like, that. that's like trying to say like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, sculpt a David <laughs> on my you know second try. It's kind of ridiculous, sure. you know. Yeah, Tim, Tim, I've heard I've heard you talk about your your movie uh, before. On, 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 uh, I'm a fan of your guys' podcast. I've listened to many episodes. Oh, awesome! I've, yeah, I've, I've heard you talk about it. It's, it seems like it's made a a, a big impact on on you. Your, oh my gosh! Movie. Oh my gosh! That's an understatement. It's it's like I thought that after it got released, I would stop talking about it, but it's still lingering there because it is the last thing that right that I've. Yeah. Pre- it, it isn't the last thing I've made because I've been a director for hire on like a music video and some commercials, but. I don't know, man. This it's hard to to wash this movie clean like off of me. I just I think I got to do something else, and hopefully that's more successful in my mind. Because I don't know if I can keep living this way as a filmmaker, just feeling this like heavy weight of <laughs> yeah. I completely botched. You're that. You're really hard on yourself, though. That's that's the problem. It's just you're so hard on yourself with that. It's okay, but it fuels me. It fuels me to do better yeah. the next time. So I feel like it's a healthy sense of failure. Sure, sure. I think I think you got to make something new. 
get something as a, a yeah. different thing, a, a clean plate with something different. Yeah. And something simpler. Right. Right. <laughs> I need, I need right. to be less ambitious. Right. Yeah. So my next question is about failure. Like, wh- what does it mean to you to fail as a filmmaker? Is that is that something that you could even do? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. You know, I think I, I've made a bunch of short films that are are not very good, but they're they're not out in the world. You know, you, like you kept three, them you kept them secret. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even think a deep YouTube search could find them. Like I, like I, in my film school, my my three films were all pretty bad. You know, I think. You know, you you write you write a short story, and your first ten of them are going to be garbage. Um, and I think you know we're very lucky to be working in the in the commercial corporate world because you get a lot of you get to work out a lot of kinks that way. You know, on on um, you get to work out your your craft on well sometimes big budgets. I'll tell you a story. Um, the entire budget of Buddy Solitaire was smaller than. Um, a 30 second spot I did for a big tech company. Oh, that's the funny. entire budget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, trying, trying to raise money for my movie and then like working on a commercial that has like, you know, the same budget as like, you know, my full feature, yeah, my full feature. My, right. Oh my gosh, guys. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a mind bend. I mean, obviously we all know that like, you know, for, for a feature, you know, you, you have your friends working almost for free for peanuts, whereas they would charge full rate for, because so, so for, for a corporate or commercial thing. So, you know, the people are all doing it for the love, but it's really crazy seeing that stat when you see this budget level for a 30 second spot and that, you know, was bigger than your full feature. And, the, and, and this is kind of a question that I wanted to ask. And this is sort of going back to something we've already talked about and we've already covered, but I just want to ask it and verbalize it anyways. Um, going back to the whole multiple interpretations thing and like having the audience come up to their own conclusion, do you think that's just a way for uh, us as filmmakers to just cover our asses if we failed at telling our story to be like, oh, yeah, you interpreted it this way. You term- Oh, yeah, that, that's great. I love that you interpreted it that way. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> that sounds like a question I would ask. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it happens a lot. As you guys know, like that sort of response happens a lot. Like, oh, you know, the, your movie's open to interpretation. Um, but I think really it's all about <clears throat> the type of movie you make. Um, I think Best Mom is definitely a movie that, um, you know, it, it, it is – you know, it, it tracks the relationship between a mother and daughter and you're supposed to feel a certain uh, heartwarming feeling because it falls within the category of a family film. I think this harkens back to what Tim was saying earlier. It's like, hey, if you're trying to make a family film and you and you per, and you produce, you put on screen some like <clears throat> super weird, you know, David Lynch thing, I think that's probably a failure. You know, it's the contract you make with, you know, the audience and right, the right. people that are hiring you to make this movie. Um, and I think it's how close you get to that mark that determines your success. But that being said, you know, within those confines, you people can get different things. Let's say someone had a very tumultuous relationship with their parents. They can interpret something different from the movie than someone who had a more pleasant relationship with their parents. So I think, right. you know, it's a combination of both. You're, the aim of you as a filmmaker and sort of, like I said, the audience taking a huge part of it at the end. You're a smart man. I try. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to say about con- the contract with the audience, like you guys are saying, like if you don't deliver on that contract, like let's say you're making an action movie and there's not enough action or a superhero movie and it's not really a superhero movie. Like I, I totally believe that's true. But I think one of the the brilliant things that some of these superhero movies have been doing lately is 
elevating on that contract. So like not only do they deliver like all the things that a superhero movie should have, like action scenes, great characters, you know, great villains, all that stuff. But then they also deliver like another layer of story and character and and insight that, you know, you wouldn't really expect from that kind of movie. Like I think Black Panther does that to some degree. And I feel like Logan definitely does that to a, to a greater degree. And then even like, you know, Deadpool, maybe it's not the most brilliant movie in the world, but like it delivered this crazy comedy on, on top of the superhero stuff that like wasn't, I don't think a lot of people really expected it to be that ridiculous, you know? Right. So, it's kind of like buying something on TV, like Home Shopping Network. You're going to get this, but wait, there's more. Right. You're also <laughs> right. going to get this, this, and this right. well, for the same I, price. I, I think that's a great point, Alric. I think that that's when you go from the A level to the A plus level. Like you mentioned Logan, or I'll even bring up Unbreakable, you know, which oh, is yeah. kind of not really a superhero movie. But yeah, like, but, it, but it is, which is so brilliant. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, they give you, they deliver on that contract and they give you that they give you more and i think that's that's when you really have to bow down to that filmmaker they gave you they fulfilled everything in that sort of audience filmmaker obligation and they gave you something extra i think that's what you know as fans of cinema that's what we all love yeah absolutely um so last question on the polarizing audience thing like you know we talked about mother and you know like how you didn't like it i liked it you know and a lot of people felt you know both those ways um do you feel like it's a failure when a movie is that polarizing or do you think that's like totally okay to make a movie that like really splits audiences that way um you know i think there's room for both i think there's um room for i mean i like i like a lot of polarizing films like repulsion um rosemary's baby i i like polarizing films um I just didn't like like Mother, but that being said, there there's there's room for comfort movie, uh, comfort food movies too, like the the Pixar stuff and romantic comedies. I think they're they every every type of those movies have a place, and I think a lot of times you go to the art house for the for the more ambiguous polarizing films, and you go you know to the to the multiplexes for the for the comfort food stuff, and and I think you know everyone has a right to the movies they want to watch, and that's why we have the selection. I mean, we live in a time where there's just so much so much out there so much content between hollywood stuff and indie stuff is that if you're looking for a polarizing film you can find it if you're looking for something with a happy ending you (laughs) can find it so you know it's the sort of blessing and curse of living in a digital age we have so many choices yeah timothy what do you think i i I don't i don't exactly remember if you clearly stated one way or the other in the last episode but do you feel like polarizing audience is a failure uh i think it depends on the personal intention and personal objective of the filmmaker Interesting. I mean, I would, I wouldn't say that Darren Aronofsky is a failure for not bringing half of his audience along with Mother. If if half of it, half of his audience really loves that movie and he feels like he did what he wanted to do, I mean, if I was him, I would look at it as the glass half half full. But um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't necessarily see it as a failure. I think it depends. I think that if you polarize an audience with like a, maybe a Star Wars movie, I think that's maybe more of a failure because I yeah. think those movies really set out to to please audiences. And if you're like losing half of your audience on a movie like that, I feel like you've probably done something wrong. Even if it makes a billion dollars? Yeah, because money, I, I don't think that <laughs> money really determines whether a movie's good or not. I think people are going to go see movies based off of marketing or want wanting to like it. It doesn't necessarily reflect what they think of the movie. 
Right. Well, I just really admire The Last Jedi for trying something new and different, you know, and, and pushing their audience and challenging them, you know, and I feel like they really just went out to tell the best story and they weren't worried about expectations, you know, necessarily, yeah. which I think But I will say this, a movie like that, that, that might be polarizing now in 20 years from now, it might be like universally acclaimed where everyone's like, oh my God, that's one of the best movies of all time. So I think part of this uh, polarizing audiences too is like, you don't really know until history has had time to judge it because some movies just don't really resonate with audiences when they come out. And that's, you know, or with critics, you know? Yeah. So it's a, you know, it's a tough question to answer like conclusively. I think it's, you know, really depends on the specific movie. But I do feel like when I hear filmmakers say like, uh, um, oh, it's just kind of open for interpretation. And I love that everyone sees my movie in a different way. I feel like there's some comfort there that's probably unhealthy because it's not really (laughs) challenging you as a filmmaker to be specific and be clear about what you're doing and that you're just kind of like allowing yourself to just do whatever you want. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. So I I like to I want people to challenge themselves to grow. Right. Well, I, I I wanted to ask that question because, you know, when hearing myself talk last week or the week before about the rage and like saying, oh, yeah, totally fine for people to interpret it. I just kind of felt like, oh, maybe I'm just an asshole. You know, just like <laughs> sitting back here and just like be, being like covering my ass, you know, and being like, oh, I don't care. I feel like you're coddling yourself a little bit. Well, and you're, allow- you're allowing yourself, allowing that. Right. You can definitely, you know, do it however you want to do it. Like, it's totally fine. Like, I'm not telling you you have to do it a certain way. But I think in order for you to grow as a filmmaker, sometimes you have to be a little tough on yourself and say, wow, wow, dude, like all the, the I'm getting all these different interpretations of my film am I really okay with that? Like, it's easy to say like, yeah, it's cool that everyone has all these interpretations, but I think you sometimes have to look in the mirror and be like, is that, is that really okay? Like maybe I should really have focused it and, and made it clear that she's not dead in the end, for instance. Right. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. Like I think that might, you could say that one aspect of it like was not, didn't come out as we intended, you know, but I feel like people watch that movie and even if they don't come to my exact conclusion of like what I was trying to say, like they come to a conclusion that has the same emotional resonance and the same sort right. of feeling. And I feel like even if they have a different like interpretation of all the details, like if they come to the same feeling and the same emotional ending, I feel like, you know, that that works for me. Um, That's great. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely aware of it, you know, and, and I'm definitely like looking back at that project and realizing the things that I could have done better to clear, more clearly communicate certain story beats, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I still feel like, you know, I'm okay with, with that sort of, you know, that result, you know, that end result. I mean, the other thing that I, I'm really not okay with is that people think the two women are the same pe- person. That I'm not, but that's like, that was kind of <laughs> right. out of my control. Uh, anyways, we're, I'm, I'm, we're being rude to Kuang here, uh, just talking about <laughs> no, our own no, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Did you get a lot of different, uh, did you, was that a film a polarizing one for you, Alrock? Did people get a little have different bit. I mean, uh, interpretations of it? Yeah, there's been a lot of different interpretations, um, you know, and, and almost every interpretation is slightly different. Like, you know, very, very few people come to the exact same conclusion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but like I've been like last episode, like I was just saying, oh, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. And I mean, I am totally fine with that. But there are definitely things that I'm not OK with if if you, you know, get things wrong. And, and but I just have to live with those, you know, Um 
or if you not get things wrong, but if you don't interpret them the way that, that I'm intending you to interpret them. And, and that's why it's great that, you know, uh, we can make multiple films, you know, we can learn from the, the previous one and bring that those lessons as you guys mm-hmm. uh, asked earlier on, you can bring those lessons, what you do differently in your, in your, in your next movie. And that's the beauty of, uh, of, uh, filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. And I know I, I use the word failure a lot, which is, is a super negative word. And I know yeah, it's a supercharged word. Yeah. Too. It's a supercharged word and it, and it turns a lot of people off i'm i i don't think that failure is a bad thing i think it's a necessary thing for growth but maybe a better word for failure is not yet mm, <laughs> right yeah you're not getting yeah. there yet yeah you it's know, like it's, maybe it, a softer version of it. it's like you're not yet to where you want to be so you know try harder and get there right, right. yeah and you know and i think like you know it's it's uh not everyone's cut out for filmmaking Right. It's like it's it's really as you guys allude to in your guys podcasts, it's hard. And, um, you know, some people won't stick out to the end to make to necessary to do the things necessary to make a really good movie. And so that's fine. You know, you can you can be a novelist or a painter or something. Um, and yeah. I think sometimes failure is a way to kind of say, hey, is this really for me as well? Yeah, right. that's true. But I would hope that people hitting that wall see it as an opportunity to grow because I really believe that it's not just innate talent that that successful filmmakers have I think it's also just perseverance and and pushing through and and keep making stuff because you get better with each one that you do absolutely um so we have last five questions but before we get there I just want to know uh did you see The Last Jedi and where did you land on that (laughs) Timothy hasn't seen it yet but I I, want to know what, what you thought of it you know, it's so funny. Uh, inspired by you guys, I was going to do a podcast with my buddy, um, my buddy Jeff, because he hates Last Jedi so much with a passion. Uh, he's the ultimate. He's the <laughs> ultimate troll. Um, sorry, Jeff. Kind of a that, troll. That's so funny. <laughs> but we. But uh, I thought it was okay. I thought the middle was kind of boring, um, and I thought oh, some interesting some 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 elements. Speaking of the contract they make with the audience, some of the sections were not very Star Wars. Um, you know, I won't do any spoilers. Uh, but yeah, some sections didn't really seem it seemed to be from a totally different movie. But I thought that the the end twist I won't spoil anything here either. But I thought the end twist with 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 Luke was was great. I did not see that coming. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that movie. I saw it three times in the theater, and I just you know cool. <laughs> big fanboy of Last Jedi. Uh, but you know, um, I can totally see and respect the things that people didn't like about it. You know. But it just, it was a movie that really worked for me for uh, lots of different reasons. You, you, know? you and Gavin Murray should go out and have a beer and talk about um, uh, Mother and uh, <laughs> Last Jedi. I, th- I think we actually did have a beer and talked about Mother. I don't cool. know if Last Jedi was out when we had our beer. Maybe it was, but I don't know if we talked about it. But yeah. That's a Netflix recommendation right there. If you liked Mother, you'll also <laughs> like The Last Jedi. <laughs> right, that's pretty funny. I don't know if that's true at all. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I think we should just get to it. We're, we're kind of getting short on time here. Yeah. So the last uh, five questions we're asking all filmmakers that come on the podcast, you may have heard these before. I think I have. Um, the first one we've already kind of said, you said you're getting about 85% from your films right now. But if there's anything else you want to say about this whole thing that David Fincher says you're doing pretty good if you can get 70% of what you want on, on a film set. Do you agree? Disagree? Um, yeah, I, I generally agree. There's so many variables happening um, that I think 70 is a good percentage. Nice. Um, what's the thing you struggle with the most as a filmmaker? Um, I hope this isn't a cliche, but uh, financing. <laughs> financing and then, <laughs> and then marketing. Yeah. Everything in the middle, yep, making yep, the movie. Yep. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's not a cliche. It's just the truth. Right. That is one of the hardest things. Uh, number three, if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, have more fun. And maybe this relates to you too, Tim. I think like I put a lot of pressure on myself too. If I could go back to film school, I would be like, you know, this is a, a great experience to work with other students. Don't don't put that much pressure on yourself. You know, it's it's it, it should be full of joy. That's fun. I I did the exact same thing in film school too. I I remember the first uh, group project I had to do and make a movie with like two other uh, filmmakers. Oh my god! I just made those two women miserable. I was so anal. <laughs> yeah. oh, I was terrible, and and to the point where they had to kick me out of of the edit bay oh, because really? I was just being too terrible and yeah. too controlling. Right. They're like, "Look, you need to shut up and go away. We're gonna finish this movie." And I was like, "Okay, fine. Whatever. It's supposed to be fun, Alric. It's supposed to be fine. I'm bad. Um, yeah." And I, 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 went to, I, I did the same oh, yeah. exact thing, man. So I feel. Oh, yeah. did you really? Oh, yeah. okay. I'm sure a lot of the audience can yeah. relate to that. <laughs> um, do you have a goal as a filmmaker? To keep making more films. You know, it, your success if you keep if you keep making movies. Nice. I love it. Amen. Uh, number five is making movies hard. Yeah, but it's also wonderful. You know, it's equally hard and, and wonderful. And if it wasn't hard. Um, you probably wouldn't be making, pushing yourself to your point, Tim, pushing yourself as much as you need to. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Awesome. Well, uh, Kwong, can you please uh, tell everyone where to find you? Like, are you on Twitter, Facebook, website? Where can people watch your short films? Like, where can people find your movies? All that stuff. Yeah, I have a production company, and we do tons of uh, videos that are for, for corporate commercial purposes, and we do tons of narrative stuff, too. We did uh, Best Mom through my company. It's called SatelliteFilms.us, um, SatelliteFilms.us, and you can contact me there. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Can just look up Kwong Lee. I think there's eight Kwong Lees, but um, you know you can find my picture in there. Um, and Buddy Solitaire has a has a Facebook page, facebook.com, but backslash Buddy Solitaire as well as buddysolitaire.com uh, in general. So you know, and I'm around the Bay Area, so a lot of your audience um, have probably met me somewhere or or um, or have run into me somewhere. So not hard to find. Nice. And then when's Best Mom coming out? Is it doing the film festival circuit now? Is it still in post? Uh, you know, this is a cool thing to end on. Uh, we had our world premiere two weeks ago at the Hollywood Independent Film Festival where it won Best Family Film and Best Supporting Actress for Donna Mills, who's in the movie. Congratulations. Nice. Yeah, congratulations. Thanks. thanks. Yeah, and congratulations on making two films I and know. going into your third. I mean, that Dude. you said it yourself, like, that's a success, and I agree with you. If you can keep going, especially on the feature film level, I mean amazing it's hard enough for people to make one feature film let alone two and looking like you're going to make a third hey thank you so much you guys are looking like you're close to getting that that first feature <laughs> and then once you get your first one you know the sky's the limit right well you know we've talked to so many filmmakers who made one feature and and that's it you know and then gone on to different types of projects or you know are just going doing shorts or, or whatever so i think it's pretty inspirational to talk to you about like yeah not only getting the first feature done but then going on to the next one and then you know keeping on chugging it's just really cool and then also for us personally or at least me personally doing it outside of la is also like pretty awesome so yeah man that's i'm just really glad that you got to share your story with with our audience and everything i'm super happy to be on this podcast like i mentioned i'm a, I'm a fan i've listened to many episodes so it's really cool for me as well being on your guys show oh that's awesome all righty well i'm gonna go ahead and wrap us up here uh yeah, thanks uh, again, uh, Kwong, for being on the show. 
And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. If you dig the show, please tell your friends about it or leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, you don't have to write a whole review. You can just give the star rating. That works too. Um, if you prefer, you can, you can get in contact. You, to, if you prefer to get in contact with us directly, you can send us an email to podcast at mickeymoviesishard.com or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. Uh, be sure to check out our new indie filmmakers group on Facebook too. And we've invited the Just Shoot It podcast to join us on there. So hopefully we're going to start getting some Just Shoot It influence um, on our Facebook group as well. I don't think it's quite happened yet, but um, I'm hoping that, you know, we kind of bring our two communities of podcasts together. Orin's made a few comments on, on some posts. Oh, yes. Oh, good. That's yeah. awesome. Or- Orin's very talkative. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, finally, you can visit us on our website at makingmoviesisheart.com, where you can find links to all the things we talked about on this episode, including all um, Kuang's movies um, and, um, you know, like links to the other things we talked about. And then, of course, to, you know, where you can get in contact with him and all that stuff. So yeah, thank you, Timothy, again, for another wonderful episode. And thank you, Kuang, for being on the show. And yeah, talk to you guys next week. Bye bye. Thanks, guys.